Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Dyer and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, March the 1st. Hope you all enjoyed your extra day yesterday on the 29th. Now let me leap towards introducing you to this week's panel. I tried. Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward. Marianne Goodland, chief legislative reporter for the Colorado Politics and Colorado Springs and Denver Gazettes. Tyrone Glover, I leading criminal and civil rights attorney here in the Denver area, and also Ed Sealover, VP of Strategic Initiatives, and also the editor of The Sun and Substance at the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. We are entering March Madness, aren't we? With Colorado and 12, 14 other states and a territory voting this coming Tuesday in the primary elections for the presidency. Uh, Patty, lots of questions. What will turnout be like in Colorado? Will the independents and unaffiliates come out in Colorado? So a lot of things are looking towards Tuesday, a lot of questions. I think the turnout will be fairly low in Colorado right now because you've got a couple of questions. Yeah. Even though the Supreme Court said they are taking up the Trump immunity question, they have not yet ruled on whether or not Trump is officially banned from the Colorado ballot. So there's a lot of uncertainty. I think Republicans are kind of up in the air about what they want to do anyway in Colorado, if not the rest of the country. But Democrats have a really interesting option, which is the non-committed delegate. And I think we're going to be surprised by how many people go for that. You had David Skaggs, who was in Congress for 12 years, saying that he was taking that, that he really doesn't feel Biden should run again, but he feels there should be a Democrat that we cannot have Trump. So he had an op-ed in that was really interesting. So the presidential primary in Colorado, our votes aren't going to matter that much, but we've already been so much in the news because of the ban of Trump. I think the primary in June is going to be the big one. That's when you've got Congress. And right before her own son was arrested for on several counts in rifle, Lauren Boebert had just tweeted about the Biden crime family. So we have a lot on our plate in Colorado. Right. That is in June. Just That's the, the June primary. options this coming Tuesday. Marianne. I'm interested to see how Nikki Haley does. I, I'm curious to see how much of the Republican base is still in the Trump camp. I'm assuming a substantial portion of it. But if there is enough dissatisfaction with Trump for Nikki Haley to make, to make a better showing here than she has everywhere else, including in her own state where she lost fairly big last week. Um, to the June primaries, uh, Congress will be fascinating um, to watch, but I'm also watching the legislature because I, that I think is going to be where there's going to be some really interesting stories. There are a lot of primaries going on, and these are these are not just primaries for seats that are going to be open, but you're seeing a lot of primaries for sitting incumbent lawmakers, and that's a little and that's a little bit unusual. You don't you don't see that. You've got. Uh, and, and it's on both sides of, of, of the aisle, both for Republicans and Democrats are facing some primaries that you might not expect. Okay, there yeah, And for a primary where you have two clear front runners on both sides, this is the most interesting one I've at least seen in my lifetime. Uh, we have you know, Trump who the justices of the Supreme Court are still deliberating. Um, they could literally come down with a decision, you know, it could, this may be stale, you know, tomorrow we could have a decision. Um, and my understanding is if that happens, 
then all of those votes, all of those ones that have already been mailed in would not be counted. You know, would those have been folks who would have voted for a different candidate? Would they have voted for, for Nikki Haley? Uh, we don't know, and that is a, a, definitely a possibility. I think the real saving grace there is I think no one expects it to be a favorable decision uh, upholding the Colorado Supreme Court. Uh, justices across really the sort of ideological spectrum seem poised to reject. Um, but then also we're looking at the momentum from these uncommitted voters in uh, Michigan. There's not the campaign that there necessarily was uh, here, but I think the nation is watching and we could see some protest votes here too in Colorado. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to see uh, the results of the primary because I think they will dictate a little bit what we're going to see in June. Um, I mean, let's think back to a time in 2016, which seems like it's about 150 years ago, when all of Colorado's delegates were committed to Ted Cruz uh, because there was such a Trump pushback in this state. I, I, like has been said about Nikki Haley, I mean, she's not going to win, but I want to see how big the percentage is there because I think that's going to play out in two congressional races uh, in June. One on the in the third district. I mean, you look at Jeff Hurds, who is uh, the Republican, uh, arguably front runner for the now open seat in the third district, getting a lot of traditional Republican support, um, but going up against Ron Hanks, who's as Trumpian as you get uh, trying to get in that district. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if Haley gets a lot of support. Maybe that bodes extremely well for, for Hurd and feeling good out there. Same with the fourth district now. I know you talked about it last week, um, but the idea that Corey Gardner jumped out of kind of quiet solitude and jumped in to endorse Jerry Sonnenberg tells a lot in that race about who is going to have the traditional Republican support. If Nikki Haley gets a lot of support, I would expect that someone like Jerry Sonnenberg will benefit from that as well. Um, and so it, it's worth watching what happens in a, in a primary whose race may be decided, but whose far-flung um, uh, you know, that have, may have far-flung effects on other races. And I know it's still far away. Do we think after all these troubles again this week that Lauren Boebert's campaign, I mean, she has filed. She's definitely running in the fourth, but... Same day. She got her mm -hmm. petitions in the same day. Her son was arrested. I think this will pretty much kill her campaign. You. Well, you've got so many good options in the fourth, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know that, that you could call Jerry Sonnenberg anti-Trump. I think he he is looking for votes from everybody. And if Haley does well, I'm sure that benefits him. But I think if Trump does well, that benefits him too. I wasn't going to uh, trying to call Sonnenberg anti-Trump, but I think he's more traditionally uh, in the Republican mold. Um, and especially uh, as you've got 12 people that are currently in that race right now, uh, normally the idea of your, your classic Republican hasn't done well in primaries in recent years, except for Colorado, where they swept the field in the 2022 Republican primaries. Um, but when you get that one stand out there that may be not anti-Trump, but still hearkening back to the old days, running against a lot more pro-Trumpian candidates, that may give them an advantage in a very divided field. Okay. Let's talk about what has taken place this week at the state capitol. Marianne, you are ears and our eyes inside the legislature, so let's start with you. It has been, uh, the last couple of weeks have been very busy, very interesting. Um, we have had bills on uh, gender identity that have tied up, <clears throat> tied up the House uh, pretty well. And in fact, we are expected to be at the Capitol on Sunday for the final votes on these, these two measures. One is on schools um, being required to address a student by their preferred, uh, their preferred name. The other one has to do with felons. 
um, who would be allowed to use a gender identity as a just cause for getting a name change. And both of those have been, they've been very, very contentious debates uh, in the House, and we expect Sunday to be no less contentious. Um, the other thing that, that I've been observing, and I find this really interesting, is, is how we seem to have two legislatures at play right now. Uh, one is the traditional uh, legislature with a lot of partisan bills, messaging bills from the right, and bills from the Democrats that, that pr reflect the progressive agenda in many ways. But then you also have sort of quietly and behind the scenes a lot of major policy work that's being done on a bipartisan basis. And we did not see that last year. And, and that's something that I'm following right now. And I think that that is a hopeful sign for uh, lawmakers actually working together, at least on some, some fairly big policy areas. That's really good to hear. Really good to hear. Tyrone. And one area that we seemed to all be united around was uh, the Senate Bill 49, which was resoundingly defeated. Um, you know, this banned books, uh, front lines have come to Colorado. There was a very high profile uh, civil rights case and now uh, this bill, which was ultimately defeated. So I think this is, um, was definitely a statement to where uh, our communities and this state is um, and for the access to free speech and uh, public access to community resources and the free flow of information. And just in time for Butterfly in the Sky, the Reading Rainbow uh, documentary to come to theaters next month. So um, I was definitely happy uh, amongst all of the tension to see that one uh, not go anywhere. Okay. There's a lot of focus now on the gender identity bills, but I think there's going to be even bigger furor coming up over the air quality bills. No less than six bills have been introduced in recent weeks uh, that seek to improve Colorado's air quality. That is a goal that I think everybody shares, but it's the specific ways these bills go about it. They're doing things such as um, proposing a ban on all new oil and gas wells after 2030, proposing a summertime ban on oil and gas drilling, creating a new penal, uh, class of repeat violators with huge Lines, uh, requiring more modeling. And one, interestingly, that was introduced this week would overturn key parts of an Air Quality Control Commission rulemaking on how to uh, cut down on um, manufacturing facilities emissions because the proponents of the bill think it wasn't strict enough. Uh, these are bills that are, that are definitely major impacts on the economy as well as major impacts on the environment. Um, Governor Polis has already seemed to come out and say, I'm not sure that some of these are where we want to go. I think it's going to create a big battle over how is it that we clean the air? Um, what can we do? Is this too far? Um, and, and what impacts is going to have beyond just the air? Hmm. Okay, Patty. Yeah, that is going to be an ugly fight and a lot of little fights too because there's so many different bills. To go back to that transgender issue, it's fascinating because one of the bills was really pushed by students from Monument High School. And when you see their argument and what it has meant to ch students who are transgender to be able to be called by the name they are now using, one kid had um, gone through a transition during COVID. So when that student returned to school, to have the old name used really kind of busted the student on who changed gender. That's a very sincere, tricky bill. The one with the felons is far trickier because you're talking about 
people who maybe everyone has a right to know what they did, no matter what their name was at the time. So we're going to see a lot of fighting there. I would also like to see much more discussion of the statute of limitations on the sex assault. I've talked to several people. We talked about that earlier in the season, that there are some really, really sincere people who would like to be able to hold authorities accountable years, decades later for hor horrific abuse. So we need a serious conversation about that. Marian, anything else we need to know? Um, I, what I'm watching for in the coming weeks um, is some conversations around the governor's appointments. Um, we've got one coming up this af um, Thursday afternoon that I think is going to be really interesting. And I'm sort of anticipating the governor losing the fight on this one. This is the Parks and Wildlife Commission. And the governor has appointed three people who have been um, called animal rights activists to represent hunters and the outdoor recreation um, folks. And, the, and they've all sort of responded by saying, these people don't represent us. They, do, they don't know us. They don't have any background in this. But this is who the governor is now putting on some of these, uh, these groups. And I anticipate that there, there may be some big pushback from lawmakers on this one. OK, all right. The city of Denver has hit a turning point, as uh, de described by Mayor Johnston this week, uh, when he announced that we are now going to be consolidating some of the migrant shelters within the city. The day before that announcement was made, Mayor Johnston announced goals that he has for the city for 2024, items that are different from, oh, they include, but the homeless and the, the migrant crises. There are other issues that he is now focusing on, Tyrone. Yeah, I mean, consistent with the Denver that I know. I mean, when I moved out here 18 years ago, um, you know, from California, uh, this felt like a city that really came together around getting things done, uh, a place that was really uh, thriving. Uh, I saw politicians and community leaders working across the aisles, working across ideologies to move forward collectively um, and really valued unity. Um, and I think that that's what we're really, I think, starting to see. We're in a really tough time, you know, between uh, homelessness and then sort of some of the unforeseen fallout of the, the migrant crisis. Um, we're in a really critical time and there's our uphill battles. And what we're seeing, I think, from the mayor is a call for us to come together, uh, to unify, to not sort of turn our backs, to change our status as a city. Um, we're choosing unity over isolation because we're really, I think, thinking about our cities, our community, and ultimately our future. So um, it is an ambitious agenda, especially to achieve with all of the budget cuts and all that we're facing. But I think together we can ultimately get there. You've seen Mayor Johnson call repeatedly for more federal help on this. I just wonder how long it's going to be until he asks for more state help on this. There have already been talks at the Capitol among people like, oh, look, how much uh, we're not doing, uh, how the Capitol is staying out of this. There seems to be some consternation from Denver uh, officials, and particularly Denver representatives, about that. Uh, I don't know that there's actually a lot that the state can do. It's got a very tight budget this year, um, and, and this is not something the state has traditionally weighted into, not that we've traditionally had a lot of migrant crises here in uh, in Colorado. Um, but I will be curious to see if that is the next level of conversation. And if with all the other things we just talked about that the state government has to deal with, we are soon going to be adding migrant crisis to that. Mm -hmm. Patty. Well, there was a reference during that to the state having loaned some people, I think, to help the city on the migrant issue. I thought Johnston was smart to 
kind of put the migrant, the homelessness issue aside when he came up with these four different prongs, areas he's going to work on. It was refreshing to see, you know, to see actual charts and plans and graphs when we hadn't seen that for years really coming out of Colorado. That he acknowledged, you know, that there's going to be a new planning director soon and they need to work on permitting. They need to work on public safety. They have a whole lot of issues they have to work on besides the migrant issues. So I thought it was a good call to arms, as Tyrone said. But when you're talking about the migrant issue, we have to remember it's not just Denver. I mean, we're not sending out a welcome mat down to Mexico and, you know, please, sending postcards, please come here. People are coming here, but they're coming all over. And a lot of them are going straight from the bus that drops them off in Denver to Aurora, Aurora, and Aurora has just said, we're not gonna help. Well, what are they gonna do with the thousands of Mauritanians that have shown up there? People will come and it is gonna be a statewide problem. Mm -hmm. It will be. Marianne. Um, as the resident budget wonk, or at least one of the things that I find really fascinating, I, I found it fascinating that the mayor announced that he was gonna start closing some of these um, migrant uh, shelters and, and 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 I think he's taking a lot of heat over the cost um, he had anticipated a 180 million dollar hit to the state to the city budget on this now he's got it down to 120 million but it still means budget cuts the other thing is this bizarre statement about whether people are being laid off or they're just getting their hours cut to nothing which means they're laid off, they're just not laid off. I'm, I, I found that kind of disingenuous. And you have to feel for those people who are trying to do the best they can to provide city services. And it coming down to, well, we, we can't afford to keep you, but we're not going to lay you off, but you can get unemployment. I mean, this, this messaging just did not work to me. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, you know, I think about all the, the kids, especially, that rely on the rec centers. centers yeah. And when summer starts this, you know, in a couple of months, they're going to be, we're really going to feel it. If the pools aren't open, if the rec center hours are, and there are people who have, don't have any hours. And, and people who don't, have, who don't have jobs, even though they may still, they may be able to say, yeah, I work for the city of Denver, but I don't make any money doing it. That is odd. Well, no. I'm just waiting for the people to go out and have this special flower fund because they're going to miss the flowers, too. And when you're trying to come up with an image of a city and they want to push the downtown image, you want Denver to look good on top of it. So I'm the guessing we will see philanthropists planting flowers. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, this week, the Polis administration released a second version, a 2.0 version of its plan to curb greenhouse gas pollution here in Colorado. And these are more short-term steps to get to the ultimate goal that Governor Polis has, Ed. Yes, yeah. If, if we think about all the bills that we tend to talk about on this show as kind of the, the, the smaller picture, not that some of them are small, but um, focuses on how to deal with greenhouse gas emissions, this is the big picture. Three years ago, they laid out their first greenhouse gas pollution roadmap, uh, and 95% of the things that Polis asked to be done in that have been done at this point. That doesn't mean, you know, we've gotten our goals yet. 80% of the way there already to reaching our 2030 goal for reducing emissions. Um, this is part two, and he's got 49 new steps in here, and they are a mixture of, of everything. There are some um, land use strategies that he wants to incorporate for the first time into this. That's not an easy one. That's not a quick fix at all. Um, there are some, some things that are going to cost money, uh, making more low energy buildings, electrification of appliances, reducing methane emissions from landfills. Uh, these are going to be costly steps that businesses are going to have to go through. And, and then there are steps where he's, he's pushing forward things like using more sources like carbon capture 
capture and hydrogen, uh, and also uh, reforming the distribution system, acknowledging the fact that if we're going to electrify as much as he wants us to electrify, um, we need to be able to handle that load on the grid, which we cannot now do. Um, so there is an interesting mix of what's going on here. I will say one other thing. In the appendix of this report, there was an interesting note where he said, here are the things that we were asked to consider and we didn't consider. And he laid out over two pages why he refused to consider a ban on new oil and gas wells at the same time that the legislature is considering that. And you know, the quote that I took from it is, a strategy of limiting the supply of fossil fuels will harm lower income residents and cause significant public concern. So while Polis is doing the big picture and planning ahead for the next three years with all these steps, he's also kind of getting into fights with his own party with statements like that about what we're going to do in the short term with bills that are coming up this year. Mm. Okay, Patty. Well, we talked about it a few weeks ago. So the annual Colorado College Conservation in the West poll came out, and more than ever before, people agree they care about the environment, they want to do something. But what we also see is no one agrees at all on what has to be done. When you talk about footnotes, I was fascinated to see Diana DeGette come up in Congress with a, like, let's think about nuclear power bill, which was really surprising. Nuclear power, who would have heard about that decades ago, even a decade ago? So I think Polis is at least outlining steps, not unlike Johnston this week, with his city plans, but how many will be able to get through, what kind of sacrifices they'll be, and what kind of fights are there going to be over oil and gas? We will see how that goes, and it's not going to be done before he's term limited mm -hmm. out of the governorship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The thing that fascinated me about this this 2.0 plan is is it doable? And and given the cost that uh, business is going to have to shoulder on this, I think one estimate was 3.1 billion dollars to do just just one aspect of of these, and this was just for building owners. Um, is that doable? The other, the other, and is it technically possible? And there's a lot of questions being raised about whether that's even whether that's even doable. Uh, and and to Patty's point about him being out of office, he's out of office in 2026, or at the end of 2026. Some of those goals, you know, the question is, do people continue to work toward those goals once he's out of office? And I think that that's going to be a really interesting question to, when we start looking at who's going to succeed Jared Polis as governor. Uh, is, is it a Democrat who's committed to climate change and, and continuing on with this plan, or is it going to be someone else? Okay. Who could reverse it all? Tyrone. Well, these are the fights that we should be having, right? They're, they're fights, but they're the right fights, right? We're not fighting about whether climate change is even real, and we're not just naysaying any way to address it. Uh, I see this as a tension between, uh, you know, let's move you know, quickly enough to address the problem, but let's not move so quickly that we overburden our communities, um, we harm low-income communities, we harm small businesses, and the tension of that, that, that march towards uh, some sort of solution uh, while maintaining not only political support, but you know, just being good stewards to our communities, is I just think th th that's where the battle line should, should ultimately be drawn. Um, so I see this um, ultimately kind of as a, a good thing. Um, you know, there is some tension between him and some of what is being uh, pushed in the legislature, but it's all towards the end of ultimately trying to address this. We need to get past this whole notion that this isn't happening and we can just kind of go about our day business as usual um, and really figure out how can we sustainably, um, you know, march towards a solution over however many years it's going to take. Yeah. 
All right, thank you. Now it's the time of the show where we go down the, the table and our panelists talk about some of the highs and the lows of the week. We've talked about some of them already, but Patty, I'll start with you. Let's talk about something that's not so great. Well, I will take, it's what I talked about last week, but it has a happier ending, okay. which is the vandalism at the Martin Luther King Memorial. People early on thought it was a hate crime, and now it's being investigated not as a hate crime, but as people who took the medal off the MLK statue to sell it for scrap metal. But what we can't forget is that hate crimes are definitely up, and so this one might have had a happier ending. It was just felons trying to take money, uh, trying to make some money off a memorial, but we can't forget that many, many of these are very real hate crimes. You're right. Mm. Um, I've had uh, a couple of stories in the last couple of weeks on the Office of Public Guardianship. This is a state agency that is supposed to protect Colorado's most vulnerable people. These are people who have no one, no family, no friends, no, no children uh, who can look after them. And they have a range of, of serious problems from mental illness and uh, complicated by medical issues. The, these clients range in age from 21 they actually have got seven clients under the age of 30 right now, 21 to uh, the 90s, I think. And unfortunately, uh, in the last year, all but two of their public guardians have quit. And state employees don't like to, to whistleblow, but seven of those 10 people who quit wrote a letter to the governor saying, please, take a look at this, help us out, help, help these clients who are now uh, who no longer have anyone to look after them. These people originally were warehoused. Well, guess what? They're warehoused again. Okay. All right. In Aurora, the constitutional right to effective representation, you know, in a criminal trial is under attack. Um, we are trying to privatize the Aurora uh, Public Defender's Office. Um, there's significant pushback from that office and, and many around our, our state. Uh, you know, the right to effective counsel regardless of uh, your, your means or your income level is just a bedrock of you know, our community and our constitution. Um, and Colorado, both at the city and state level, I think really is a, a model for a lot of other states. And they look to us for uh, training and they look to us for how we've structured our indigent defense. Uh, privatizing that is going to take away that independence and I think ultimately end up costing the city of Aurora uh, more money paying contractors than it would to have a standalone public defender's office. So um, there's some real battle lines um, and it's getting pretty contentious there, um, but that's sort of what's been bumming me out lately. Okay. I realize there are more serious ills in the world, but as someone who's been in communication throughout my life, the debacle that Wendy's went through this week deserves some <laughs> attention when it announced that it was looking into dynamic pricing and people suddenly started saying, wait, you're going to do surge pricing for hamburgers? And then Wendy's came out and said, well, that wasn't what we meant by dynamic pricing, which is exactly how dynamic pricing is defined uh, for any company that's going to try to get a message out about change. Make sure you know your definitions and what it means. <laughs> I agree with you. All right. Something good, Patty. Well, we know what this means. It's Denver Restaurant Week yep. starting today. Great time to get out and support small businesses and large businesses. Yeah, it's fun. Always fun. I, I have to do a shout out, even though he probably won't hear it, but my dad's 90th birthday was last week, and uh, my husband and I flew to Indiana to celebrate with him. My love of politics and my um, career in music are both due to my dad. So happy birthday, Dad. Oh, that's awesome. 
I have a 90-year-old mom, too. That's great. Tyrone. So I'm an east side guy, but I got to give a shout out to the north side, the Highlands Mommies, um, and they're impressive. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to make sure I get the numbers right. 400 volunteers, 36,000 volunteer hours, 300 jobs, 61,000 meals to help deal with uh, the influx of our, 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 our newcomers. Um, I've spoken, I think, a, a few times on this program about just how impressive this grassroots and community effort has been uh, from Denver, and this just, I think, just further goes to support that. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good one. Yeah, those women are great. Since we are taping this on the last day of Black History Month, I want to give a shout out to one of my favorite businesses I had a chance to profile back when I worked for the DBJ, KT Winery, started by entrepreneur Kristen Taylor, um, a winery that produces mom juice, uh, juice that, uh, a wine that is not for um, people looking for $100 bottles but can be drank by everyone, is quite good, and started in the middle of the pandemic with a partner that she found from across the country who could only commute, communicate online when they first started doing this. Uh, it's a great story. Story. And if you ever get a chance to see mom juice bottles in the liquor store, know you are supporting a Colorado-led business. White, red, all in between? Both. All uh, right. Yes. All right, mom juice. Okay. You know where I'm going after. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, my high of this week is kind of a first we experienced this week. Denver had its first ever snow squall warning. That was when that quick snowstorm moved in on the front range. Was that on Tuesday? Tuesday? That was really something to watch it, but even better was how quickly it moved out. And now we are enjoying some lovely 60 degree weather as we start March. That's all I have. Just that the warm weather is making me happy. Uh, thank you panel for joining us this week. It was great to hear from all of you. Thank you all for watching as well or listening to our podcast. I hope you have a great weekend. I'm Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week here on PBS 12.